What's up, guys? It's Little D from FMF. When I'm not mixing gas and hauling ass, I'm listening to Big MX Radio. Hey, guys, what's up? This is Andy Frisella here. You're listening to Big MX Radio. But when you're done with this episode, come check out the MFCEO project, MFCEO.com. I got all your motivation. I've got everything you need to know about running your brand. I've got everything you need to know about getting shit done, and we can do it together. started. Big MX Radio, brought to you by Fly Racing USA, is on the air. Fueled by passion, focused on motocross. W Wheels USA, Moto Ice Wrap, Viral Goggle Bread, and Maxima USA make it possible to bring you the news, the interviews, and the point of views inside the sport of motocross. The gate's about to drop on Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you brought to you by FMF. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line from Moto Stuff. He is the uh, he's he's the man over at Moto Stuff. He's the big boss, goes by the name of Scott Hart. Scott, how's it going? Great. Just got back from Seattle and uh, weather's starting to improve here in the northwest so looking forward to that getting back on the bike and getting the northwest moto season started absolutely you guys are usually a little bit earlier uh going along as than uh, here in manitoba where it's still pretty cold during the evenings but we've got a, uh, we also have a special guest that uh, I'll, I'll let you introduce to the big mx listening uh audience uh who, who do we have joining us we've got brock powell um i met brock a couple of years ago at one of the local uh, Northwest POR series races. Um, we sponsored that series for a few years and uh, uh, we pitted right next to the starting gate one year and Brock was running the gate and, um, and he races at the same time. He races a couple classes, so he's uh, definitely multitasking. And so he comes running over and said, Hey man, can you uh, run the gate during my moto? And I'm like, yeah, no problem. And after that we became great friends and ride together a bunch and last fall uh, i hired him part-time he's been working for us helping us out with videos he does great on on camera he's created a bunch of like how-to and tech videos for us and uh helps out when we're out of town he ships a lot of our orders and also did a huge um, inventory uh project for us to get all of our inventory online so you can see what's in stock anytime it's always live on our website now so he kind of had come from the industry um works for motorsport uh hillsborough here now and has worked for a few other dealerships in the northwest and so really knowledgeable on how pretty much all aspects of you know the a moto business operates awesome customer service and get great feedback from customers that have dealt with them and so it just was, it's been great and looking forward to more with them. 
Well, there you go. Brocktimus Prime, as he's known. Brock Powell, pl- pleasure to have you on the show, my friend. You seem like a bit of a Swiss Army knife when it comes to uh, not only moto stuff, but uh, uh, moto- motocross in the Northwest in general. A little bit, I would say. Yeah, I just I love the sport. I've been passionate about the sport for a long time. Uh, I've been a racer for a long time. I, I had high hopes to get my uh, pro license at one point, but, uh, you know, life happens. And uh, now I'm just in the industry and right in the industry and, and just love every minute of it. Hey, and it's it's easy to love every minute of the sport. I often say all you got to do is show people motocross and they'll fall in love with it. The motorcycles flying through the air, and in case of this weekend, mud flying through the air. Uh, I think it's uh, it's rather ironic that uh, I would have uh, the two of you on. Obviously, this was your 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 home race this last weekend, but uh, I, I safe to say none of the racers this last weekend were using their brakes. Uh, much much at all, uh, in fact. Um, maybe coming into some of the tighter corners, but uh, Moto Stuff is best known for their brake components, and uh, they weren't as, as um, maybe not as needed this weekend than, uh, than maybe some, some oversized radiators might have been. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, <clears throat> we do make some mud brakes, but only the top teams invest in that kind of stuff, the solid rotors. As Geico did put theirs on, but even then, the, the the mud at Seattle was like some of the worst I'd ever seen. Um, just let off the throttle and the bike almost just comes to an immediate stop. So I don't think brakes played much of a role in the, the results for <clears throat> last Saturday. Um, we did have a few guys running our the titanium pro pegs, and that would definitely help in those conditions. But for sure. I don't know. I, I found, my, found myself thinking, man... Just some uh, big old elephant ear, you know, hand guards and uh, the lowest tire pressure you could run would be like the ticket. And but lots of challenges. And I mean, you know, we had the top teams in the world out there, and they were all struggling. Nobody just walked away with it. That's for sure. For sure, and, and yeah, like uh, like. Brock, is was there ever a, a point this weekend when uh, when the lo- the teams were kind of looking to some of the uh, some of the locals as to how to set things up for mud like that? It seemed uh, like very Play-Doh-ish, very it kind of just it, it it would just cut grooves rather than being able to move around. It was rutted, but also still sticky. To, regardless of how much the rain came down on it, it still stayed like kind of sticky, and it wasn't really sticking to the bike so much, but just like. You, riders bikes the the tires could just cut through it and then you just have these gnarly grooves yeah it was terrible it was uh it was bad one of the hot setups might have been to uh run your suspension a little bit stiffer that way with the extra weight the bike doesn't get weighed down uh that would be about the only uh, real hot setup i could think of i saw a lot of teams running foam in between a bunch of spots on the bike and i saw foam on riders heads to you know try to limit the amount that it cakes up on them but Man, it seemed like nobody had a real solid advantage out there. No, just about everybody uh, was on even playing field, except for maybe a guy like Aaron Plessinger, who, uh, um, on his, on his, from his standpoint, I think it has everything to do with just the approach, the mindset, and knowing that these are my conditions. I do this better than anybody does this, and uh, I think that and that alone might have taken him to a victory. Yeah, yeah absolutely. He looked like. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Oh, go ahead. Oh, yeah. He looked like the only guy that, you know, he was standing up a lot of the race and had a nice flow to him. And I don't know if he was the only guy. It looked like he was enjoying himself. But uh, I know his 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 finish celebration looked pretty fun. 
<laughs> for sure. Doing a little bit of a, a nose dive there, a, a swan dive into the water. Uh, I did happen to see a, an audio cable running through that puddle, so that might have not have been the safest thing in the world. But uh, um, pretty awesome weekend. And uh, but I'm sure that a weekend like this, coming to your guys's backyard, is uh, is is a pretty hectic one for you guys. Uh, for both of you, obviously, uh, uh, it's 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 a huge company that it's really kind of taken uh, the motocross industry, especially as far as North America is uh, concerned, by storm in the last four or five years or so. And um, uh, and with that comes a lot of uh, a pretty busy week on your hometown Supercross. Yeah, we checked in with all of our teams that we sponsor um, and privateers. So we spent several hours in the pits. And it was nice since they kind of uh, condensed practice or just got rid of because there was only 10 minutes of practice for each class. So there was a lot of downtime in the pits. So a little more relaxed feel, although you could still kind of feel the tension with like, you know, all the uncertainty of how it's going to go with the mud because it just, totally levels the playing field but it was good to be able to catch up with the teams you know we usually go to a1 and seattle just a1 for all the excitement of all the new teams and how everybody's going to do and then seattle because it's it's pretty much our home supercross track anyway just uh, it's about three hours from us yeah, basically a hometown race for you guys. Now, uh, Brock, what what pulls you towards a brand like Moto Stuff? Um, it's obvious it's an aspiring brand. I've, I've said that many a times. It's the brand that people want to have on the motorcycles um, because I feel like the the it's a great product and the values of the products are rooted in the integrity of just putting out great products and uh, and great service. Uh, what is it that brought, brings you over to the brand? Absolutely, the quality of the product was really. Uh interested me even before I, I met Scott. I was really impressed with, you know, the quality of the products and just the, you know, the prestige, if you will, you know, I've always been drawn to, you know, top quality products on my, on my own race bikes. So, and then to realize that it, it's all American made product and it's local uh, that I was triple in at that point. There you go. That's that's all you need to know to, uh, to to kind of jump in with both feet. And once you're in there, you come to realize that this this Scott Hart guy he's just, he's just full into this stuff. He he's he wears his heart on his sleeve. Pardon the pun. Uh, and uh, but he, he puts everything into these uh, the products that at one point was just CRF stuff has now branched itself into uh, all, all all the different manufacturers. And what sticks out to me most, Scott, is that uh, like I had a guy like uh, Drake Sizemore on my show maybe two weeks ago. And he had outfitted his uh, CRF 250 with uh, moto moto stuff brake components, and like most guys would like uh, at the pro level, only uh, choose things if they can get a deal, if they can get a sponsorship, or if they can get something for free. And uh, he 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 admitted uh, full full well that he is uh, paying uh, like full retail pop for for those components, and he puts those on his bikes because he knows that that's going to make the difference. Yeah, you know we. We get a lot of that people that go out and do the research and, and some of them are, you know, top competitive riders, um, at the amateur level. Um, even once in a while we'll get privateers. will just, you know, an order will come through from a recognizable name at full retail. Um, we're pretty easy to approach, you know, just shoot us an email. Um, Brock helps me out with, you know, um, support and sponsorship programs. Um, you know, we do that. That's kind of our 
full advertising budget is to help out privateers and teams as, as best we can um, versus spending two or three thousand dollars on <clears throat> two or three thousand dollars on magazine ads um, we'd rather just kind of take a grassroots approach and get the word out there because we're like everybody else if we go to the track and talk to a rider we want to know what's working not not what uh, who has the biggest ad budget <laughs> and uh, so word of mouth from riders is how we've grown the business over the years and and uh, it continues to grow and it's it's been a good year actually this year we got our first 450 class uh overall uh brayton back in daytona that was a milestone for us um so yeah it's been been a really good year absolutely and And, uh, the 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 products speak for themselves, but Brock, like, what are some of the, what's some of the feedback that you get from uh, some of the people that, that you're seeing on a weekly basis out at these local races, or if you go to a Supercross? What are, what are some of the, the feedback that you get from these people that are uh, they're in the trenches and they're using the stuff? Absolutely, um, product longevity is one. Uh, the feel and actual use of the brakes, you know, is another one. The modulation and the feel you get once you go to the oversized rotor. It's uh, a lot more braking power, but it's not so much that it locks up all the time. You get that really good feel of modulation with it. Um, they, the brakes just last. You know, the rotors just last and last. So a lot of other companies, you know, you might go through two or three rotors where, you know, ours, you, you get by with only one for a couple of years. For sure, and 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 Scott, like I think that's something that you've you've always talked to me about when you're talking about your products is not just the fact that yeah you have more stopping power with you have a bigger rotor any can one can make a bigger rotor but it's also the modulation of that braking having that that adjustment having that uh, rather rather than just having brakes on or off uh, it's it's more of a dimmer switch isn't it? Yeah, that's probably the biggest concern we get from people that call and ask about the upgrades is like, is it going to be too powerful? And exactly the opposite is true. You know, we we provide the highest modulation range out there. You want to have basically zero to 100% control across the full lever movement. You don't want it locking up or getting most of your braking right at the first one-third of the lever movement. And that's how you get build confidence in it, and you know your brakes are going to consistently perform at the the same level every time you apply them and that's how you build trust in it and that's uh, kind of what we strive for that actually came from geico working with them <clears throat> our initial our first year of product was made using basically uh, the recipe from the stock breaks the same material the same heat treating process and hardness when geico tested our stuff they're like well these are pretty good but if you could do this, this, and this, um, we'd start using your brakes. And they gave us some changes to apply to our process. We did that. Um, they picked out the formula they liked, and, and that's what's in our retail product now and has been for like the past eight years. Well, there you go. It's, it's like I said, extremely popular. I think that's the when, when someone is um, – 
setting up a motorcycle or, or putting together a competitive race bike, uh, I think the, the two the two areas that need to be addressed uh, most are suspension and your brakes. Because uh, to be honest with you, Scott, I can uh, I can get the most powerful engine underneath me, but that just means I'm going to roll the gas off just that little bit sooner. Uh, what will really help me out is, is being able to, to grab the brakes about as late as possible so I can drop those lap times. Um, so I ask you this. What are some of the, the, the main components or what, what is the, the, the perfect recipe for having a great brake system underneath you? Well, most bikes nowadays have pretty good stock systems. Um, the modulation can be, can, that's the biggest improvement you can make is spreading the power of the brakes across the full brake range. Um, any bike in the last 10 15 years probably can easily lock up the brakes when it's in good operating condition. A lot of times, you know, riders will let the master cylinder go to the point where it's not building enough pressure and you can have some problems there. But usually that's pretty severe case of, of wear and neglect for that to happen. But to improve it, you know, you can increase the, the, the rotor diameter, which gives you more leverage. And again, getting away from that light switch feel, just getting it more control over it. Um, I always kind of go back to why four strokes generally dominate in, you know, in motocross and supercross is compared to a two stroke is the ability to put the power to the ground. They can actually make less power, but they're putting that power to the ground in a way that is more effective. Take a CR 500 and a, you know, a modern 450 the 450 is generally going to just smoke it at, at the whole shot just because 500 is so difficult to modulate that power to the ground. It's, you just end up spinning. Right. And that effect in braking is locking up and, and sliding, which anytime you're sliding or, or locked up, you're out of control. And so that's kind of how we provide more performance in a brake system is to make it more controllable and more usable versus, you know, just being able to skid, which a lot of amateur riders, beginner riders, you know, that's how they perceive their brake power is how easy it is to lock up. But, you know, generally anybody that gets into the intermediate class and above, they're, they start, <clears throat> start to understand the concepts and advantages of brake systems and how it can help them. You know, you've got a good powerful motor, like you mentioned, that's going to get you down the straightaway and then you need to switch over to your brake system for the next uh, part of the corner. And um, I think in general, just flowing through the corners is generally the fastest way to go when there's nobody in front of you. But if you're trying to pass somebody, you need to out, out accelerate them and be able to go a little deeper and, you know, come in and, you know, brake pass them, whatever, uh, just to get ahead of them. And then, and accelerate away that's where your brakes can become a major competitive advantage and there's other tracks you know Glen Helen is a track where brakes are extremely helpful um come down those big hills and um I mean Brock and I were at Day in the Dirt uh last November and it was kind of scary having such good brakes because the guy next to you on the inside, he's not slowing down. And so you kind of have to pick and choose where you're going to go to make sure you weren't going to get taken out by somebody that couldn't stop. Cause first lap or two, 
uh, especially in our classes, there's guys, they just come down and blow through the berm and go off the track because they couldn't slow down. Those hills are just so gnarly. Absolutely. And, and on top of uh, a more braking power, more modulation, uh, would you find that uh, through testing the products that uh, that the brake fade is, is, is less uh, susceptible to your products and the fact that uh, the, that same brake feeling that you're going to get at the beginning of the moto is going to have something similar later, later on in the race day as well? Yeah, fade is definitely um, reduced with with our system through several uh, processes. One is the larger diameter. Two, got more materials and surface area to dissipate heat. Um, let's see, as far as fade, I'd say those are the two main things that will affect that. We also have you know some really higher spec brake fluids if you've got somebody that's really abusive on brakes is generally the back brake it's it's rare nowadays that we ever hear from a customer that's having a brake fade problem on the front especially once they've upgraded but on the rear you there's a lot of guys that they use the back brake to kind of keep themselves in a rut or pivot um, some guys have gotten they're so talented that they can just apply just the right amount of brake force on the back to just kind of use it as a centering device, you know, in, in really uh, choppy, gnarly uh, braking bumps coming into corners, that kind of thing. So those guys, we've, we've got a, a Motul road racing brake fluid that several of the teams, Supercross teams, use that for guys that are uh, really abusive on the rear brakes and tend to fade them out. Fair enough. We'll definitely keep that in mind. I definitely do abuse the back brake, especially on a, on a two-stroke, which I believe you have a new two-stroke. You're on you're on the white KTM's for a little while now. You're on an orange KTM. Yeah, yeah. I got a new 2018 um, 150SX that we built for a day in the dirt, and I just love it. It's just so much fun. I just I raced 450s for I don't know seven or eight years. And uh, rode a guy's 150 uh, probably four years ago, and ever since then I just I've been riding the 150 just because it's so much fun. I used uh, Jim Hassaker built the motor, um, Bill's pipe, and Electron Carb on there, and it's just it's difficult to imagine anything more fun. It's just a perfect amount of power, and you know I'm older and. 185, 190 pounds. So 125 is a little more difficult for me to keep on the pipe. So the 150 is my little, uh, my little cheater bike. There you go. Abs- I, I definitely love my two strokes. I, I still have a 125. I think I need to uh, upgrade to the 150 at some point to to, uh, to help that thing uh, tow me around. The 252 strokes definitely my brand, my bike of choice, but it beats me up so much. Uh, Brock, I know uh, you're a guy who still likes to to get after it on two wheels. Uh, outside of the brake system uh, components, what would be your favorite? Uh, um, goodie that is available on uh, motostuff.com oh man the uh ti- pro pegs titanium foot pegs the nar pegs for sure uh they just get you planted on the bike the kung fu kung fu grip for your foot uh it's totally money well spent not having your foot slide off the peg is is a good way to go 
just completely enhances your control. Absolutely. So, like, maybe you, you can both kind of chime in a little bit on this. Why is it so important to have that grip, have that uh, connection with the bike, and and have them uh, nice and light titanium? Like, why 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 pick titanium? Why uh, why the pattern that they're that they're cut in? What's the science behind all that? Well, um, it's interesting. I I didn't run wider aggressive pegs until probably eight years ago, which I hate saying that being in the industry. I just hadn't tried them and didn't realize the advantages of them, but finally tried some. Um, I think I actually had Raptors at the time, which is very similar to our pro peg. And it's, it, it's almost unbelievable the amount of confidence that they give you. It takes a little while to get used to uh, how much grip you have, but just a moto or two and, and just huge confidence builder, you know, you can have your foot halfway on the peg and it's going to support you properly where, you know, if you're on like a, a stock peg, they just quickly get the teeth get, uh, rounded off and there's, they're slick and up here in the Northwest where we are, it, it's really important to have, you know, a good solid peg with all the, the wet weather and mud that we have up here. And, um, uh, it just makes a huge difference. Bigger platform, so you know when you flat land or case something, it just spreads the load a little better across the arch of your foot, and um, so there's there's less, uh, I guess, pain from that. But I think the biggest thing is the confidence you get from knowing your foot's not going to slide off if you're, you know, if you cross rut or something going up the face of a jump, and all of a sudden you have to shift your weight, you know, a huge amount or the bike shifts under you you you've still got a good solid connection with your bike to be able to keep it in control and it's it's hard to convey that just verbally but anybody that rides with them they're pretty much sold for life on big wide aggressive pegs and uh, the other thing that we get a lot of calls or concerns about you know are these these pegs look like bear traps are they going to just chew my boots up really quickly and generally what happens is your foot's not grinding away on the peg anymore it's just stays solidly planted so your the soles of your boots actually last longer and we've gotten that same feedback from several pro riders that we work with that you know can burn through soles pretty quickly they're like you know their boots are lasting a lot longer yeah, no, no longer the Absolutely. cheese grater effect. Uh, and Brock, I think you, you'd echo a lot of that stuff. I'm sure you have a little bit to add as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. With uh, more points of contact, you just connect it to the bike a lot better. Um, the confidence, confidence it gives you is is pretty immediate, and, and uh, it's definitely noticeable. But, yeah, with uh, a lot more contact patch uh, in contact with the bottom of your boot, it wears your boot less because all the uh, points of contact are spread out. So that certainly helps. Because nobody wants to spend $600 on boots and then have your boots get chewed up in one season. That's not good. No. And, and uh, let, let's not also forget that they look really cool. <laughs> they are definitely aggressive. 
Yeah, and uh, I think uh, Aaron Plessinger definitely uh, used them to his advantage using the uh, the mud version, of course, uh, a nice big uh, hole down the middle of those foot pegs to disperse mud and, and get those off of the feet. That actually seemed to be one of the things that the guys were uh, fighting against the most this last weekend is keeping their feet on the pegs once they found their feet back to where the foot peg roughly was. Get uh, Keeping the feet, uh, your your foot feet on the pegs was, uh, was a challenge this last weekend. Yeah, Brock and I were talking about that earlier that, you know, it was sitting up in the stands and watching these, you know, the the best riders in the world were paddling their way around the track. Um, it was easy to sit up there and think, oh, I could probably do that. But it just goes to show how, you know, gnarly the, the, the track conditions were at Seattle. We were talking about that for the track to even hold up at all, most of the obstacles had to be built out of clay. And the actual soil that was on it just kind of washed off after it started raining around 2.30 or 3. I mean, the, the track had been soaked all week. And um, <clears throat> as soon as it started to rain again, the, the soil just kind of turned into a, you know, slush and slid off. And so it was like ice. You know, I, I think that's why they took the whoops out too, which was, I could kind of see some guys thinking, eh, it's a bummer they took them out because it was a, challenging obstacle but you know could it easily become just a huge roadblock there you get three or four guys down across that and now you can't get around the track anymore yeah i can't get along uh period actually i'd love to get your guys's take on this uh why the the main events were were shortened i i I feel like uh although there was a few casualties as far as bikes obviously the most notable being uh chad reed's bike but the the bikes the the track seemed pretty passable uh i was surprised to see uh the time main events get shortened yeah that was a surprise to me um you know if there was some like deadline for if they got delayed or something during the event, but, um, you know, I think that's part of the race. You know, if your bike, if you can't make your bike last, uh, that that's part of being a smart racer is making your equipment, make it through the event. And so, yeah, I was a little surprised to see that they cut it that dr- dramatically. Um, and I haven't seen any, uh, explanation for that either. Yeah, they wasn't hurting for time on the the broadcast. I watched it at home. I, they, I don't think we were we like there was tons of interviews. They, they seemed to have extra time for all kinds of stuff. I couldn't quite figure it out. What was your take there, uh, Brock? Yeah, that's kind of what I thought uh, was maybe it was just you know preserve the bikes. You know those bikes aren't cheap to to build and maintain, and you know being in those conditions, it wasn't maybe uh, until about lap six that I saw bikes you know smoking with. Uh, you know, blowing up with radiator steam come out of them. So I think it was uh, protect the teams a little bit and shorten it up and, you know, protect the riders too because it's uh, definitely strenuous to ride in the mud like that. But, yeah, I think overall it was a, a decision by the officials to shorten it up to preserve the equipment, you know, and just make it a little little less miserable for the riders. But, but hey, that's that's professional racing. you gotta you got to take what you're, what you're given. <laughs> Yeah, make make, yeah, make the best of a 12-minute uh, 12, 12 main and uh, and make it happen. Uh, 
Aaron Plessinger was able to do it in one class. Other one went to uh, really no surprise. Eli Tomac got the got the other race win. Um, what's uh, what's still fun for you guys about watching Supercross nowadays? Obviously, these guys are extremely talented. They do their thing, and uh, and they make it look really easy. Um, obviously, this last weekend uh, maybe a bit of an anomaly, but uh, uh, I, I go to you first, Brock. What, what's your favorite part about continuing to watch Supercross and and just seeing these guys make it look so easy? Absolutely. I think that you just nailed it. Make those guys make it look so easy. Um, just the level of professionalism they have and the amount of training that they, they have to do to make it look so easy. You know, I go out on the weekends and, and try to do it myself. And I, I know how hard it is for me to run a, a 10 or a 12 minute moto. These guys are doing, you know, 20 minutes plus one or plus two laps. And, you know, to do, to be that good at such a high level for so long is, it's just amazing. Just incredible athletes you know, going out on the weekends and doing races and I'm doing jumps that aren't anywhere near what they're doing. And for them to do it for that long, that hard is that's super impressive, like top level athletes for sure. And it's just fun. You know, who doesn't like seeing someone do a 90 foot triple and, you know, whip it completely sideways and blitz through the whoops like a maniac. You know, it's just super fun. Couldn't agree more. What about you, Scotty? Uh, For me, it's, you know, I like to see the underdog, you know, the privateer that's been, you know, they're on a shoestring, they're working their way up. Love helping those guys and seeing their successes. Um, we had Luke Rensland a few rounds ago. He got up on the podium, and uh, that was a great, great story to see that. And then this last weekend, there was a bunch of Northwest privateers. Um, we have a just a really great group up here that's organized by Joe Manafo at uh, University of MX. Him and his girlfriend, they sponsor <clears throat> up-and-coming riders, and uh, I don't know how they do it. They're just so passionate about it. But they had they had five or six guys that tried to qualify this weekend, and three of them made it into the main. Had uh, Dylan Summerlin, Chance Blackburn, and Austin Politelli, and we work with them. We we help the riders out with brakes and pegs, and uh, it's just a such a grassroots effort, you know. That um, just really glad to be associated with those guys. They help out so many riders, help them out with, you know, their hotel expenses, gas, their entry fees, and and they're just normal people like <laughs> like you and I that you know they work nine to five, you know. Joe does uh, HVAC work, and uh, Jamie does uh, online marketing for advertising and that kind of stuff. And just they're out there, you know, just helping support these guys because they have so much passion. And that's what I love seeing is hearing those stories of the, you know, the underdogs making it through. I couldn't agree more. Chance Blackburn and uh, I can't remember uh, Summerlin's last first name. Those two, like I'm looking yeah. at the qualifying, and I'm like, I don't think I've even seen either one of those guys in a main event this year. Both of them end up in their absolute mud specialists, as far as I'm concerned, and uh, and a really cool story, especially because one of them is a, is a fast house athlete, which means he's looking good at the same time. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um... Chance came up to us down at Day in the Dirt and introduced himself and kind of gave us his story and we found out he was working with U of MX so we immediately hooked up with him and 
became a sponsor of his program and uh, he's just he's he's done well um you know he's he i think at a one uh he had a really fast qualifying time but something happened he didn't make the main but great kid and that's just that's what we love doing is you know the, these are the kids that are we're kind of living vicariously through them you know that's what we want to do when we were kids and, and they're sure. doing it and uh so it's uh we really enjoy that i do anyway that's kind of my absolutely favorite. it's it's super fun to watch people's dreams come true, you know, be able, being able to help them out with their program and then watching them be, be successful. It's, it's very gratifying helping people's dreams come true for sure. Yeah. Like just thinking to yourself, like uh, if say one of your athletes is able to make the main event, there's a, a good likeliness that uh, the, your technology, the, 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 either the whether it be the, the foot pegs or the brake system allowed him to break that little bit much later than he needed to, or that he was otherwise be able to, to make that final pass, to make that uh, the, the transfer position and put it in the main and, uh, and make a dream come true. Like making a super cross main, something that I'll never do, something that Brock will most likely never do. And same for you, Scott, it's cool to be able to uh, empower people like that. Yeah. It's kind of our way of, you know, having, these are kind of like our satellite riders, you know, we're hoping that they appreciate and understand what our products bring to the table, that when they do make it to the pro level and get signed, they can have some say in what they're going to end up running. And um, So we can kind of get in there early and, and a lot of them come to us, you know, they hear from other riders that, you know, your stuff works, it lasts a long time, it's a good value. And uh, so, you know, they're serious about what they're doing. They're using top quality parts and that that's a good fit for us. Fair enough. So uh, final questions for you guys before I let you go, Brock. Uh, you're a guy who uh, who knows a lot about the, about the products. Uh, you are uh, you're a guy who's in sales and uh, it can handle some objections. What is what would you say are the most common objections that people have to switching to Moto Stuff product, and how do you how do you uh, overcome those objections? Uh, <clears throat> I'd say the only one that really ever comes up is. You know, price motocrossers are usually, you know, wanting a deal on everything. And, you know, cost is definitely a prohibitive factor in racing. And if it was free, I think all of us would do it. Um, yes. But yeah, um, cost comes up every so often. Um, but you know what? When you get a premium product, you have to, you have to pay a, a somewhat premium price for it. And I don't think MotoStuff products mm-hmm. are, you know, priced at the top of the market. But um, yeah, but you do get a lot of value with the product as well. You know, it, it, it lasts a long time. You could buy, you know, two or three other products to one of ours in comparison. And the value, the value is there with the warranty and whatnot too. But, uh, yeah, price comes up every so often, all the motocrossers and all the teams, you know, they want, they want the most, most value for their buck. So, and I think we all do in this society. Uh, but yeah, that'd be the only real objection is, you know, initial price, but you know, once I explain that, you know, the, our products last an extremely long time, and the warranty that you know we stand behind every one of our, we'll we'll take care of any any problems that that could possibly come up. That'd be about it. There you go. Once you once you've uh, um, accepted the fact that uh, you, you might pay a few more dollars for a, a brake rotor, but not having to buy two brake rotors is better than uh, than 
then, well, obviously either you're going to spend twice as much money or damn near twice as much money to over the same amount of period of time. And I don't feel like I'm going to stop racing motocross anytime soon. I want this stuff to last. So uh, for those who aren't already going on a regular basis, motostuff.com, a ton of great products, uh, whether it's Eagle Grit Hand Cleaner or a full brake component system to get your your bike stopped make sure get those lap times down that's where you need to go guys i really appreciate making some time for us scott and brock yeah thanks brad we appreciate it love your passion absolutely thanks for having us on hey everyone let's take a break and listen to some commercials quickly then we'll be right back to the podcast thanks for listening in motorsports the action pulls us in and often we never get close enough to the exhilaration and athletes that amaze us. Although trackside seats are available, nothing gets you closer to motocross and supercross action than the collective experience. Dave Drakes has created an exclusive opportunity to get you closer to the sport you love so much. If you want an all-access experience with Adam or Tyler Knapp, Henry Miller, John Ames, or even the cat, AJ Catanzaro, you need to check out the collective experience today. The collectivexp.com as well as the collective ex on Instagram is where you can find the collective experience. Do so immediately. The collective experience. Nobody gets you closer. What's wrong, Jeff? I don't know, Jay. Well, you better feel up with a nutritious breakfast with oats and bran. Oats and bran? I didn't think there was such a thing. That's what I used to think. Now, I start out every morning with a bowl of Amigos. For extreme kids like us. That's what I call fueling for the big ride. Hey, kids, start out every morning with a fat bowl. What's up, guys? It's Bruce Cook here with Nitro Circus. We're coming to Kelowna, B.C., May 25th for the Next Level Tour, and I'm so stoked to see you there. The most action-packed event on the planet is back, bigger and crazier than ever before, with the largest ramps you've ever seen. Nitro Circus, the global youth entertainment phenomenon, returns to North America this year with the epic Next Level Tour. This spectacular brand new production, an all-moto adrenaline rush, will have death-defying tricks, jaw-dropping world's firsts, and absurd stunts. It all adds up to a thrilling show simply too big to fit indoors. The Next Level Tour launches mid-May, just in time for summer, and will visit over 10 cities across the continent through June. Brainchild of Travis Pastrana, global superstar, action sports icon, and Nitro Circus ringleader, the Next Level Tour features the best athletes in action sports taking on the biggest ramps in the world. The Nitro Circus design team has put it all on the line with this show, doubling down on the risk factor. The FMX Next Level Takeoff Ramp alone, a towering 15 feet above the show floor, a whopping 5 feet taller than any ramp toured before, will launch riders more than 60 feet into the sky. The landing ramp also looms large, standing 23 feet in height. The Nitro Circus Next Level Tour 
will include several athletes, including Bruce Cook, Jared McNeil, Jared Duffy, Blake, Bilko Williams, and many more. For more information, visit NitroCircus.com. Hey guys, it's Fly Racing's Justin Brayton, winner of the 2018 Daytona Supercross. You're listening to the Big MX Radio. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast Show brought to you by FMF. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt. With me on the line for the second time in the, in the same number of weeks, Dave Drakes from The Collective Experience. Dave, how's it going? Good, man. Just uh, ready to talk some moto, get into it, go over uh, that mud fest we had this past weekend. Absolutely. Uh, a race that uh, may, maybe not uh, be one that fondly remembered by too many other than the two men that ended up on the top step of the podium, that being Eli Tomac and Aaron Plessinger, and I think we'll get to that in a little bit, but uh, I, I got to feel like as fans, um, as much as a mud race is a bit of an anomaly, it's not what you came to see. Uh, for me, personally, definitely not. You know, even though these races kind of, you know, we see the same stuff, you know, every weekend usually, it's, it's, it's kind of unique to see a mud race to break it up, but as a, as a diehard fan, it's just, I want to see these guys going all out, wide open, you know, I want to see them get super high speed, I want to see them jumping, and uh, as, a, as, a, as a fan that loves that type of racing, it just had a little bit more of a 50cc class kind of feel, you know, it's kind of a bummer seeing everyone go so slow and then the abbreviated races, but I mean, you know, racing's racing, it was, it was just good to be there and watch it. For sure, it was a full-scale version of the KJSC, and I'm not sure if, if uh, the KJSC was planned to, to race that particular race, but I, I don't think they were able to, to get on. Like th- that was, if, if they were scheduled for that, I think that was completely canceled. I think, I think it might, we might have gotten away from that completely. I hope they canceled it because that would have ruined a lot of kids, uh, a lot of kids' dreams, man. Just getting their bikes stuck and blown up, and I don't know how any 50 could have gotten yeah. through there. I mean, the 450s really got through it, so... Um, yeah, definitely bummer for those little guys if they were out there or, or scheduled, supposed to be out there scheduled. Absolutely, and and uh, what, what what blew me away is the uh, the injection of some riders that you wouldn't normally have seen uh, making their first main events in Supercross 250 class specifically. Chance Blackburn and Dylan Sul- uh, Summerlin both getting in through the heat race, which usually means there's some guys that uh, normally should have been in the main events who were not. Um, those two guys jumped off of the page at me, and of course, F- Philip Nicoletti capturing his first ever heat race victory um, just for the 250 class alone. Those are kind of my highlights. Yeah, it's it's really good. I mean, that's that's another that's another good thing about these mud races is it, it gives a chance to it gives a chance for us to see different types of, of different types of riders and riders that we might not associate with being in the main event. So you see a lot of three digit guys, a lot of guys you might not have heard of are, um, you know, dicing for some, some pretty big, uh, pretty big positions. You know, it's a, they always say the mud's the great equalizer. And, um, you know, we got to see Justin Starling up there. Uh, we got to see, uh, uh, it's a, a lot of a lot of really talented kids that again struggle for main events, just really really dicing it up and getting these transfers from uh, from heat races. So um, you know, in that aspect, it makes the racing a little bit more exciting, a little bit more unpredictable. Um, and yeah, I think in both classes, uh, it really gave fans a, a good sense of how deep this field is with just you know three digit guys and guys you see in the top fifteen. I mean, really making a run at some some pretty respectable positions. 
Absolutely, and and uh, and Brandon Leith is not uh, taken out of that uh, whatsoever. The fastest lap time recorded of the whole day was, I believe, his second lap of the time, the only qualifying uh, session. I think he had a pretty uh, um, clean track to to ride when he when he got the lap. But regardless, he was able to collect that lap time. Went into the the, the night show with the fastest lap of the night. Brandon Leith. Yeah. He uh, he did awesome, man. I mean, you know, he's relative, relatively uh, new to the scene and um, riding for the uh, the Rockwell Racing Team, and, and those guys were stoked on his position, man. Like, uh, super talented kid, really rode uh, rode the wheels off that bike, and um, it's again really cool to see that happen. Where another three digit guy came up and and laid waste to the field, you know. Um, it would have been nice if that transferred over to the main a little bit more for him, but I, I'm I'm sure he's still stoked with. Uh, I think he got 14th overall. Yeah, I'm sure he's still stoked with that, and it's um it's really good to see these guys get up there. Not to mention his bikes throughout the entire day were looking awesome, man. The Rocco guys did this really cool color scheme. I don't even know what to call it. It's like a blue. It's teal. It's teal. Kind of teal. Yeah, kind of teal. You know, I'm, yeah, you know, colors more than I would probably, <laughs> but uh. Yeah, it's uh, it it really really set him apart. Really joke. got some um, <laughs> really uh, it, it it really uh, really got a lot of attention in the pits, man. A lot of people were uh, gawking at the bike. So kudos to those guys. But um, yeah, it's it's nice to see a a, a relatively unknown kid just go out there and make a name for himself like that. For sure, Blackburn gets in as well as uh, uh, Summerlin, and yeah, you you, you took uh, you noticed before I did a top five finish for Justin Starling, a guy who's I think his best finish prior to that was a seventh or an eighth, gets himself a fifth, which I think is a, 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 a tip of the cap to him as well as uh, as, as his team. Um, AJE Motorsports, those guys put together a Husqvarna that outlasted, well, it was the top Husqvarna for the for the weekend. Uh, and uh, a, a bike that would last, something that you can't always say about a, a pretty much a privateer effort and uh, or a privateer team. Those guys put it in the top five, and uh, yeah, I, I, my hat's off to those guys. Oh, exactly. I mean, that's, that's a whole other piece in itself. It's just making sure your bike stays running the entire time and not completely smoking your clutch and overheating a thing and running the bike out of antifreeze totally. I mean, those guys that really know how to, how to ride that bike in the mud and really make sure that you're using as much power as you can without sliding out too much and conserving your, your engine. Um, those are the guys that, uh, that really know what they're doing and really shine. And, you know, it was, it was evident, uh, on Saturday night. Um, but yeah, I mean, having a, a private, a privateer a kid that's really relatively unknown that, you know, came through and did what, uh, Starling did is it, it's, it's like again one of the really cool things about about mud races and um, yeah hats off to the team man they put it together a great motor we saw a bunch of factory bikes even that were almost you know on their on their way out and yeah, that kid soldiered through and uh, and made it happen for sure and uh, so the 250 class is won by Aaron Plessinger who in my opinion probably approached that race with the most amount of positivity. Uh, anyone can have in any situation. That guy rolled out there saying, this is my stuff. I go good in this, and nobody else does, and everybody knows it. And uh, it... it uh, it, it almost looks like it was like men amongst boys uh, out there. Just like he looked, he was clean the whole time, barely got dirty, uh, standing up everywhere. It was like he was riding a different track. Exactly. It. It, it, it's a real testament to some of those guys that can that really know how to ride in those conditions. Uh, the slick mud, and you know, when they stop raining, that slick mud turns to like that real 
thick, nasty clay-type mud that just robs all your horsepower. It's The guys that really know how to ride that stuff, man, it, it's a sight to see, you know, the way they move the bike around, the way they keep the, the power at the right spot, um, not using too much energy. It's it's pretty it's pretty cool to watch, man, but you can definitely tell, you know, who's equipped for that stuff and who isn't very, very quickly. For sure. No, I, I think uh, you hit the nail on the head there. Um it's it seemed to me that Aaron just uh like he 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 knew where to go, he knew where he could stand, he knew where he could jump, uh kept the bike clean and uh collected his fourth win of the series and uh without some sort of miracle going on with only I believe I guess they've got three races left in that particular series. Yeah. Uh I for not to say that it's completely gone, but a seventeen point lead over uh Adam Cianciarolo at this point is pretty uh, pretty substantial, especially with uh, Joey Savacci getting 12th, uh, Shane McElrath mired back in fourth place, uh, and and, and uh, a lot of irregularity behind him. Uh, I think this championship is all but sewn up. Yeah, I mean, you hate to say it. We all, as fans, we all want to see it come down to the wire, kind of like it did last year between um, between Savacci uh, and Osborne. Um, but, I mean... That 17-point lead almost kind of seems insurmountable at this point with the way that, you know, all the guys are riding. And Plessinger's been, you know, consistent, something we haven't seen of him in years past, and he's really making it making it work for him. And he's the number, you know, the, the number one guy in the class right now, and he's a red plate holder. Um, I mean, you know, again, me being an AC fan, I'm a little bit bummed, but, I mean, hats off to Plessy, man. He, he rode like he was on rails. And, you know, everyone kind of came in thinking – he was going to take uh, take the cake anyway, and um, he proved him right, man. That kid is just when it gets rough and rutted and gnarly, that's when he shines. And uh, he definitely, definitely uh, stood on top of the podium, real proud. And and uh, you know he's he's ready to wrap this thing up pretty soon. That that he is uh, four wins on the season compared to uh, th- one is the is the most from anybody else. Uh, none from his closest competitor, uh, Adam Cianciarillo, who I feel will still get a win before the season's out. But uh, um, my biggest uh, gripe, I guess, or kind of uh, a head scratcher uh, from the coming away from the weekend, and I, I'd love to hear the answer to it it's, at some point, is uh, the, the short main events, which uh, resulted in a couple of things, and I think you'll agree, one of which, uh, the the amount of time, like, with a bad start or maybe some sort of an incident, uh, a lot of these guys weren't able to climb back to the position that they normally would have been able to get to. Uh, guys like that, I think of Joey Savacci, uh, who has ended up in 12th. I feel if he would have had another... Well, I guess with seven more minutes of a race, I think that uh, there's he very easily gets within the top eight, top 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 five possibly uh, in a race like that uh, after a, a terrible first lap. And um, I think that we we get more opportunities to, to like as honestly, you'd have to look at the results to see how certain guys did because it was such a short race that uh, they spent maybe seventy five percent of the time watching Plessinger make it look easy, and then they spent the rest of the time. Uh, uh, Filming uh, the battle between Sexton, Cianciarillo, and uh, McElrath. I, I, I was surprised to even see that uh, Justin Hill got ninth, uh, Kyle Chisholm eighth, um, Mitchell Harrison doing Mitchell Harrison's thing and getting seventh really quietly with nobody noticing. Stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it's 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 tough when you uh, when they when they cut it short like that, you know and. Um, you know the fans are showing up there, sitting in the in the rain all day. You know the least they could they could do is you know give them give them what they came for. You know some some longer races and 
um, you know, it's understandable why they would cut it short, but yeah, you, you could tell a lot of riders um, could have used with a little bit more time, a few extra laps, just kind of uh, break through and get that position that you know they could. Uh, it's it's definitely, it's it's tough, you know, you can kind of go both ways with it, but um, yeah, I, I just, I kind of feel for all the people that, that, you know, went out to the race and kind of sat there in the rain all day, just, you know, doing what five, almost like a five minute main event for the two fifties and like 11 for the four fifties. And, um, yeah, it kind of cuts it short, really, really takes away from the action. I think. Well, my biggest question is, were, were we behind schedule? And I don't think we were because every, both main events, they found time to, to interview, uh, someone that wasn't in the top three. So that takes four, like three or four minutes, uh, of interview time. Mm -hmm. Like, like I, 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 as a race fan, I'd rather watch four, three or four more laps than uh, than get a, a quick interview with some uh, with an extra rider after the race. Uh, I don't feel like we were uh, pressed for time at all, and I don't think the the schedule ran longer than usual uh, live in the stadium. Um, like one one kind of uh, argument that could be brought up is to kind of save the bikes a little bit. But uh, for forgive me for being insensitive to the uh, to the budgets of uh, of huge motocross teams, but. That's what it's all about, man. You got to let them race. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I don't think they were they were uh, short on time. It seemed like they were taking um, some pretty decently long breaks throughout, just you know, with with nothing kind of going on. I think they were just kind of scratching their heads for a while. You know, should we cut it short? Should we let them race? And um, yeah, I, it, there wasn't a feeling of you know rushing with the schedule at all. But um, yeah, that whole dilemma of you know should we have these riders and teams save their motors and stuff. I mean, this this sport was built to really test man and machine. You know, at this point, you know these these teams should should be more than equipped to handle whatever's thrown at them, whether it's a half hour long mud race, forty five minute long mud race. I mean, you know these are these are top teams with top budgets that have been in this sport for a very long time. So. Uh, in my opinion, I, I totally agree, you know, but let the things run, you know, having your machine work properly throughout the entire race is another aspect of the sport. And that's what really separates these different teams from one another. So, um, yeah, I'm in that regard, I'm kind of all for letting them race the full duration. If your motor lasts, awesome. If not, well, you know, go back to the drawing board and uh, figure it out for next race. Fair enough. Final thoughts on the on the 250 class heading into the second uh, Triple Crown Series race for these guys. Um, who do you think has the biggest edge rolling into Minneapolis this weekend, where you and I will both be most likely eating at Rockstar? Uh, yeah, that's for sure. We're, you know, there's food. You're going to find, you know, Dave and Brad. Yep. <laughs> but uh, uh, rolling rolling in, uh, it's. It's tough, you know. Everyone, everyone's gonna say, um, you know, it, this is kind of Osborne's to win, and um, you know, he's kind of got it sewn up. But like I, like we said in the last show, Forkner is a force to be reckoned with. You know, he's a few points back, but that kid has the aggression and the speed and determination to really upset Osborne, uh, really hunt him down, and we we see him pass him and kind of pull him. So I wouldn't count out Forkner just yet. It's a few points back, but you know, just as well as I do that these points chases can check up at any moment, you know, all it takes is a, you know, a bent rim or a broken front brake or something that, that just completely turns the series upside down. Um, so it, it'll be really cool to see, um, to see how that kind of shakes out. I mean, you got a couple of KTM guys in there that, you know, can really, really make a difference, really, uh, put it, put it on top of the box and, and kind of get into that points chase a little bit. So, um, it, it's up in the air. It, it'd be tough for me to call it right now. You know, everyone's riding just unbelievable, and everyone's got a chip on their shoulder. It seems like uh, to kind of out to the next guy. So, um, 
I don't know. I, I just know we're in for some good racing. Fair enough. I'm gonna I'm gonna call uh, Osborne for the win uh, this this weekend, but uh, we're gonna see four or three races of differing lengths uh, to decide that. And I'm excited to get down there. I'm gonna go down there Thursday uh, morning. I think I'm gonna spend most of the day Thursday and Friday there. Why not? Uh, it, the, I only get a, a hometown Supercross once a year, so might as well enjoy it, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's the time to be there, man. So uh, I got to ask before uh, we head into the 450 class, who do you have available this weekend for the uh, the, the collective experience? Who's still available? Who uh, who's already picked uh, as far as uh, someone to uh, to have an experience with? And uh, are there some openings still? Yeah, uh, there's always openings. You know, even even when we kind of get a little packed up, we still try to find space for for everyone. Um, so I think uh, AJ Catanzaro has been gaining in popularity the last couple of weeks. Uh, I think he's got a few people on his roster, um, and we actually ran an internship program, and he's got a intern that's coming down to kind of uh, help him out, be part of the team, and get some experience under their belt, and uh, see what it's like to to work on a race team from a you know different perspective. Um, as always. Seven Deuce Deuce. Um, he's he's always got somebody with him. You know, it's um, I think it's one or two this weekend. So uh, I got I got to double check some of the <laughs> some of the spreadsheets. But it, you know, he's always solid with people. Um, we've got a few openings with Micah Cotton, Bubba Pauly, um, couple with Brennan Scharer, and uh, we we had a couple with Devin Sorensen, but he actually kind of hurt his shoulder um, and had surgery recently. So he's a little you know a little on the mend off the roster for now, but. Um, hopefully, uh, he comes back before too long. So, um, I'd say those are the main ones that are, um, that are open. You know, as always, we've got Dave Pulley too. I mean, I think he's getting booked up towards the end of the series, but, um, yeah, if, if anyone wants to hop on, we've got, we've got plenty of room. We'll find a spot for him for sure. Absolutely. If you ever want to, uh, shadow a racer that, uh, makes riding a dirt bike look as hard as you do, just go along with David Pulley. That, that would be a lot of really easy thing to do. Oh man, come on! Don't call him out like that. <laughs> I know. He, I love David Pulley, and David Pulley works yeah, hard at his his crap. I just he, like to yeah. give him a nice ration of crap. Um, and and that's why that's why they love you, man. They they love you for the razzing. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I make fun of everybody equally. Um, Ex- exactly, equal opportunity for sure. <laughs> it's uh, equality of uh, of of getting uh, getting um, teased by the Canadian. Uh, that uh, yeah. Just, uh, honestly, I think if if I if I'm not saying anything to you that's probably when you have to worry about it because like if exactly. I, I don't i only make fun of the people i like exactly yeah if, if if brad is quiet around you then yeah that's that's not good man it's probably not a then good you're a, you're uh, probably not a good uh a sign yeah but uh so where can people uh sign up if, or where can people find more information where can people sign up uh, and follow along with the collective experience something that's getting more and more uh attention every single week um, they can check out thecollectivexp.com or check us out on Instagram at thecollectivex. Um, feel free to DM us, send me an email through the website. Um, you can also hit my personal email, dave.drakes at thecollectivexp.com. Send us your questions, concerns, comments, and we respond almost immediately. And uh, yeah, we're just here to help the sport grow, help people get the uh, experiences they're looking for, and uh, to really make a difference in the sport. 
There you go. Absolutely. Go check that stuff out. And now on to the 450 class with a familiar uh, winner up front. He's got uh, the most amount of victories on the year. Currently sits third, third in points. Uh, 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 only six, 68 points adrift at this uh, particular moment. Um, it's rather unfortunate how they have it's all uh, kind of unfolded for Eli Tomac. But one hell of a ride this last weekend. Grabs himself a win uh, in pretty spectacular fashion kind of raced away from Jason Anderson after a pretty good battle between the two of them, um, especially in the early laps. Uh, Jason kind of uh, made a mistake going uh, after the the whoops that got uh, steamrolled and then uh, basically just had to, uh, like, tur- he went, the, the corner went to the right, but then he had to hang a left in the middle of that corner to go make sure that he was uh, going to cut Eli off coming out of that corner. Yeah, it was. Um, that was probably one of the better uh, better parts of the night program. Is when uh, Jason kind of snuck away a little bit, did one of the doubles, and kind of uh, gapped himself from the rest of the field. And uh, you know, being that you know Anderson rides, you know, back of the bike, wide open, feet off. It was really cool to see that that style kind of help him a little bit, since everyone was kind of riding that way anyway, and and all the muck and stuff. So um, definitely cool. We kind of thought he was going to run away with this thing, but you know, Eli just be an unpredictable man just really stalked uh stalked on his back wheel and um kind of cut through lap after lap and um got behind him and uh and pulled the trigger man and went from there he was just on the rails and a few of the guys they talked to that got lapped which is pretty much almost everyone i was saying that when eli went by man it was it was it was like a blur he was it looked like he wasn't even really struggling as hard as half the other guys at the factory, you know, it was, um, really, really cool to see that guy, uh, lay waste to the field and, um, some, some good action for a little bit too. For sure. We got some, we got some battling out there again with the short, uh, shortened main events. So, uh, you didn't hear too much about, uh, the, uh, the Nick Schmitz of the world qualifying for their first main of the, of the year, as well as Josh Hill's, uh, resurgence coming back to the factory Yamaha team. Uh, and, um, yeah, you, and it wasn't until the very end where actually the probably the best racing of the night happened, where uh, Chad Reed relinquished two positions on the last lap to finally finish seventh. But uh, yeah, like the the not to say we were robbed in any way, but uh, kind of a bummer to see the the short main events once again in the 450 class. Exactly, and you know, seeing you know seeing Schmidt qualify and uh, seeing you know how high up there Reed was pretty much throughout the entire day. Um, it kind of makes you wonder, like, you know, who else could have been up there with a few more laps? You know, could we have seen uh, Ronnie Stewart come up? Or um, could we have seen, uh, you know, a, a, another guy who you're not really used to seeing up there? Could you see him in the top five, possibly? Um, so it, it kind of goes back to, you know, Mud being the big equalizer and, you know, what ifs and stuff. But, um, yeah, it would have really been interesting to see what these guys could have done with just a few more laps. Um you know, obviously Eli didn't didn't really need one, but you know, we we, we might have seen a you know tickle up there. Who knows? You know, so um, yeah, it, it it definitely would have it would have been nice. But given given what we got, you know, it was uh, I think the night ended up pretty well. For sure, I, I think that was maybe one of Brock Tickle's best nights of the year so far. Uh, I don't think he's got a podium yeah. yet this year, does he? Um, no, I, not, not to his name yet. No. Um, everyone kind of knew what's coming, especially with the, with the off season he had. So it's, it's good to kind of finally see him get up there, you know? 
for sure. I think this this is what I expected to see almost every weekend out of Brock. I think I, I expected uh, almost a, a a weekly top five guy, if if not challenging for podiums more often than he has in the past. Not what we've seen so far. I think the maybe some bike changes and and just the fact that uh, there's some there's uh, those other guys get paid too. Uh, also comes down into it. Uh, um, but uh, a, a good fourth place for him and. Uh, my hats off to to Cooper Webb and Tyler Bowers to race the fi- the checkered uh, checkered finish like the checkered flag. Um, like these guys could easily have uh, both Tyler Bowers and Cooper Webb uh, far out of the championship at this point. They're 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 racing for pride bonuses and some some results to take home. But uh, they they the, they both hunt down uh, Chad Reed on the last lap and make something something happen. Yeah, exactly. And uh, again, it's just, it's really, really good to see some new faces. I think we all kind of expected Cooper, you know, this, this being, you know, a couple of years removed from the 250 class, we kind of all expected him to be. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, we wanted to see him up top three, you know, he was, he was hell on wheels in the 250 class and we kind of expected that to transfer over to the big bikes. Um, but you know, it just doesn't seem, uh, doesn't seem like he's, he's uh, got a stride yet. So to see him in the top five is, making a lot of Cooper fans happy. You know, I'm sure he's, he's got a little bit more confidence now coming into this, uh, this weekend in Minneapolis. And then Tyler Bowers too, that's filling for Josh Grant. It's, uh, it's really, really good to see that guy get a, get a, a top, you know, a top 10. Uh, he's been struggling a little bit, you know, feeling comfortable on the bike, bike set up and stuff like that. So to see those two guys really, you know, really make it happen, stay in the hunts and land themselves in some top spots. It's, uh, it's definitely good, especially for us, you know, us model nerds, just huge fans that want to see some really good racing and a good cycle of guys capable of, uh, of achieving some top spots. Now, uh, speaking of uh, the, uh, the, the 22, really, there's two positions on the last lap. Uh, but like it, like, Basically, the highlight of the whole evening was uh, his clutch smoking after maybe lap two, and like well, the thing is, I, like, it's gonna blow, and it's gonna blow, and everyone, of course, remembers uh, Daytona two thousand and was it seven or eight? Eight. I believe that was. 2008. Yeah, 2008. Last lap, bike finally quits, and uh, isn't isn't it just kind of an exclamation point on the way Chad Reed's season goes that uh, the bike absolutely lets go with maybe like I'm going to say five to ten yards, maybe um, like uh, um, less less yards than you need to get a first down in that stadium, uh, and uh, and Chad Reed's bike quits and gets him seventh. Uh, fortunately for him, he was the last guy in the lead lap. Otherwise, I still think that he would have, if, if there were still other guys that were hadn't been lapped, uh, he would have been passed by those riders, and it would have counted because you need to cross the finish line, not the electronic scoring line, to to actually complete a lap. So uh, if those if he w- if there was other riders on that lap, he would not have gotten seventh. Uh, he got seventh because nobody else was on the lead lap. Um, that to me is uh, kind of like the moment of the night. Yeah, it's tough. And how many times do you think that guy kind of had that flashback of Daytona in his head, you know? On top of that, having all his fans come back and, oh, it kind of reminds me of 2008 Daytona. So uh, it really feels for him, man. And, um, you know, the guy's uh, he's an Iron Man. He's putting the work in. He's been racing for, what, 50 years? <laughs> it almost feels like. So, um, yeah, you, you kind of feel gutted for him. And it's glad that to see him that, he, you know, after all that effort and, you know, doing his best, Ryan Hughes impression, pushing his bike up, um, but he was able to walk away with the top ten, and that, that's um, that's definitely super lucky for him that no one else on the lead lap. And um, 
you know, and it, he's another rider where we, we kind of used to seeing Chad top five, top three, even, you know, we're not used to this top 15, 17, you know, 12th place Chad Reed that we've seen kind of, uh, what partway through last season and into this season. So yeah, it's kind of a bummer that that happened to him. Isn't, you know, doesn't really put a, a good light on this team and what they're capable of along with the machinery they're on. But, you know, he stuck it out for a seventh and hopefully this is, um, this is something that'll kind of spark him a little bit and kind of get him, get him going for some more top tens. I'd like to hope so. Uh, I found it interesting that uh, um, during the day when the bike was photographed, of course, all black, all black bike, really cool looking. Got a got a question. Uh, uh, what's going on there between Chad and Husky uh, to go all black with the motorcycles? A little bit of the uh, putting the pirates flag out there, but uh, he had KYB. Um, uh, rear shock on the bike during uh, during the day, but by the time the night show came around, it was a WP uh, rear sh- rear shock r- reservoir. That that actually kind of threw me for a loop. Yeah, that that's a little different. But you know, and at at this level, you know, we've we've seen these swaps before. We've seen the whole you know JGR uh, Pirelli uh, kind of fiasco with Stewart. Then he switched to Dunlop. Um, you know, we've seen the the rear ear shock with Dungy, then it kind of blows out and he goes switches to a conventional spring. So, you know, it's, you kind of, you kind of used to it a little bit, but it is, it is quite a shock. You got to wonder, you know, was, uh, was the, the, the first one not working out for him? What, what does WP have that the other guy didn't have and vice versa. And it kind of, kind of want to pry into the, some of the minds of the mechanics a little bit and see like, you know, what, what's, what's going on? Why is it, why are you guys switching it up? But you know, they keep that stuff pretty tight lipped, but um, yeah, it's, it's definitely good for speculation and, uh, and uh, who knows, maybe we'll see him switch full time to this new setup. Ah, gearheads! Uh, the gearheads love to see it, my friend. It's it's always good to, uh, for <laughs> conjecture and conversation. I'm, I'm to exactly. me, I'm not too sure uh, what what kind of changes uh, going to a whole different shock may have made on that particular racetrack. But it's good to see that Chad's still trying some things and getting himself comfortable uh, with four races or three races to go. Exactly. Yeah, he's he's still searching, which is you know still gives all the Chad Reed fans out there some hope that you know the guy's still putting in some effort into it, not just following this thing home and just riding whatever just to get to the night. You know, he's actually searching for ways to make his bike better and to kind of get those results results that we respect uh, expect of him. So um, yeah, that's that's a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel for him. So um, yeah, like I said, hopefully he uh, he can he can keep it together, man, and, and keep that two two as close to the front as he can. Absolute. So, w- w- what's your prediction for the last three races, uh, four races rather, from uh, from from Chad Reed? What do you think is going to be the high water mark as far as his best finish for the week uh, for the season? Uh, you know, I honestly, I think we're going to see something uh, in Vegas. Uh, Reed seems to really like that track. Um, he's really good in these longer races where you know he's, you get to hold it wide open a little bit longer and uh, really use a little bit more skill. So. I think we could possibly see another top a top seven, maybe even a, a top five for a little bit out of uh, out of Reed. You know, putting some block passes on and and making something happen. But you know, other end of that stick is we could see him, you know, pull a pull a tenth or eleventh or twelfth or something that we've seen a little earlier in the season. So I, I'm I'm pulling for him to get to get you know a top spot in Vegas, um, kind of hold these guys off, show these young kids the fast way around the track. Um, but you know, who, who, we'll see. We'll see. I, I'm, I'm, I'm staying optimistic for him. 
Awesome, man. Well, I, I really appreciate you making some time for us today on the Big MX Radio Podcast Show. Dave Drake from the Collective Experience. The Collective EXP is the website to go to, correct? Yes, sir. CollectiveXP.com. CollectiveXP.com. Get signed up. Get get uh, informed on how you can basically get pulled into the sport of Supercross like no other fan experience really allows for. Is that is that not right? Yeah, yep. It's it fully, fully immersive. I mean, you've seen firsthand, Brad, how uh, how these riders kind of take all these fans under their wing and treat them like they're the true VIP that they are. So um, it's it's a really, really great program that that's not offered anywhere else at this level. And our our experience goes beyond the day. I mean, you're making these connections that that really last a long time. Um, and I, like I keep saying on the show, a lot of people have made careers from kind of hanging out with us and joining our program and meeting the right person and becoming a full-time mechanic or a full-time gear guy. So it's, um, it's, it's really special to, to be able to bring that to the industry. And um, we just want to keep doing it more and more, helping fans, helping riders, and um, just making a name for ourselves. For sure. And like you said, with that internship program, this is something that can go on the resume and uh, show if, say, if you want to work for a team one day, you can say, uh, yeah, I I have the experience. I've gone through a day in a life of this program and and I've I've executed the things necessary to, to be successful. And I think that's an important thing. It, it definitely is. You know how hard it is to get to get your foot in the door in the sport and just to get that experience. Um, it, it can be a pretty daunting task knowing the right person, hoping that right person likes you enough to give you an opportunity to get the right place at the right time. It, it can be a lot. So this is kind of a good way to kind of fast track and meet those people who are, you know, not only influential in the sport, but you could, but some somebody that could really help you out. Um, you get to meet a lot of cool people, you know, when you're at the races, you know, like I said, people kind of like hanging out with you too. So it's, uh, it, it, it's good to kind of, you know, talk some, talk some moto and bench race and kind of nitpick back and forth with the, uh, the, the next radio guy. For sure. And nobody does it better than <laughs> Dave Drakes himself. Dave, I really appreciate the time. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We're going to make this a more regular thing, doing some race reviews in the next few weeks. As always, appreciate your time. Don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we cut it off right there.